The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. We've got a great show uh, lined up, as we always do. Tonight we're going to be talking about Krampus with author and podcaster Al Ridenauer. Al has written a book called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Now, most of us know the Krampus legend because of Hollywood. There's a movie out, I think it was like three years ago, maybe longer, I'm not even sure. It was called The Krampus, I believe, and it was basically a horror movie, a Christmastime horror movie, and it portrayed a demon-like creature called The Krampus, and that creature itself is um, from German folklore and legend and uh, has quite a place in German tradition, and we're going to learn all about that with uh, Al Ridenauer tonight. Uh, Tomorrow night... We will have a best of program for you, as we will on Thanksgiving night, Thursday as well. And then, of course, every Friday we do. So a couple nights in a row here of best of programs before we get back to you next week with live shows. By the way, Jason, not with us tonight. He's still with his father and um, trying to spend time with him. And uh, we don't know what the prognosis is here at this point. But um, we all are sending love and prayers to him, of course, we really, really hope for a recovery, um, and if that doesn't happen, we certainly wish peace and comfort to uh, Mr. Hawes, Jason, and his entire family. Uh, it's always a difficult, difficult situation. Now, one thing I do want to point out, because it seems to be making some serious headlines here, and as we get toward uh, Thanksgiving, a lot of people will be eating a lot of things, but the Center for Disease Control has advised U.S. consumers to stay away from romaine lettuce following an E. coli bacterial outbreak. Uh, Earlier today, the CDC said any romaine lettuce should not be eaten, any of it, and retailers and restaurants should not sell it or serve it. This comes after an outbreak that has been of E. coli infections that has been linked to romaine lettuce. 32 people were infected and 11 uh, throughout 11 states, including one person in Connecticut. And the illnesses themselves started in October, but they haven't been able to isolate them and be sure that, uh, you know, it's there's no more infection uh, going on here. So it's recommended that if you're not sure what kind of lettuce you have in your house, just throw it away. It's worth a couple bucks um, just to be safe. The CDC said to wash and sanitize any drawers or shelves in the refrigerator where that lettuce happens to be stored or happened to have been stored. Um, It's pretty serious. The stuff can make you very, very sick. It's also deadly in certain instances, too. So uh, heed the CDC here and uh, don't eat any romaine lettuce. And if you're unsure of what kind of lettuce you might have in your refrigerator, just get rid of it and sanitize everything. Make sure you do that. Wash your hands, all that stuff. You know how to do it with chicken. You need to do it with with uh, any place that you've got this lettuce. So, and hopefully, no one else will become infected with this, uh, especially as we get into Thanksgiving here. So, um, like I said, we've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to be talking about Krampus. Um, in the meantime, I'd like you to go to the Beyond Reality Radio website. Look at the uh, list of affiliates we have there. We've got a lot of radio stations carrying the program, but also you can find the Beyond Reality Radio coffee mug, which makes a terrific. A very fantastic holiday gift for anyone on your gift list, particularly if you've got office gifts you have to give. You know, usually the Secret Santa things in your office, it's like a 20-buck cap. Well, that just happens to be what the mug costs with delivery. So 
Makes a perfect gift for the office, coworkers, whatever it happens to be. Also, stop by our Facebook page and give that a like. Uh, it's just Beyond Reality Radio on Facebook. We'd love to see you there and participate with comments and keeping track of what the show's doing. And I'd appreciate it as well if you snuck by my Facebook page and gave that one a like. It's JV Johnson, or you can find it by just typing in JVJ Paranormal. Um, love to have you like that as well. So we've got a great show lined up. Like I said, we're going to take a break and we're going to bring Al Reidenauer in. We'll begin this discussion about Krampus. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm J.V. Johnson. Thanks for being here. Hey, everyone. J.V. here. Just a quick note to say thank you to Carla, our latest supporter on our Patreon page. There are a couple different ways that you can support the show. One is if you're a podcast listener, there is a support link in the description of the program. That support link will allow you to pledge a small, low monthly amount, which does a tremendous amount in helping us produce the program. Or you can go to patreon.com like Carla did and uh, find Joha. So it's patreon.com slash Joha. And in that website, you can pledge a monthly contribution, a very low amount. And it may seem insignificant at times, but it helps so much. So thank you, Carla. Thank you to everyone else who has contributed over the course of the years. And we appreciate your support no matter how you give it. And uh, we'll continue to make great programs for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We have a great conversation in store for you tonight. We're going to be talking with Al Reidenauer about a book that he's just re recently written called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. The Krampus, of course, a legend, folklore from Germanic tradition uh, as it relates to Christmas. And it's a fascinating story. Most of us only know the story from what Hollywood has told us, which, as Hollywood tends to do, is filled with... Uh, its own creations, but either way, interesting story. So let's welcome Al to the program. Al, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. Terrific to have you on with us tonight. Hi, thanks for having me on. So I, first thing I got to say is I don't know what's going on with the uh, magical Skype thing. I mean, we have problems with that software <laughs> so often. It's, it's one of those things you just want to throw your iPad out the window, um, yet you can't because there's not really anything to replace it. So I, I apologize for that, but at least, at least we got you on here. Yeah, it just... Blame the Krampus tonight, I guess. <laughs> we'll blame the Krampus. Uh, speaking of Krampus, uh, but more more generally, when did you become interested in such non mainstream topics? Oh, I, I think I was I was always interested in non mainstream topics. Uh, just weird little kid, uh, but the Krampus stuff. Uh, well, I I, I uh, my family was German, but we didn't really have that. We were far, kind of far from that tradition, but I ended up studying German. I always had an interest in folklore, legends, mythology, history. So once uh, I started actually, like once I was in college and started stumbling through some references to it, I had some knowledge. And then by the time, by the, like the early 2000s, when a lot of Americans started hearing about it, I got kind of obsessively interested in it. And that's Krampus specifically, but uh, but also, I mean, you've had your fingers in a lot of uh, esoterica, if you will. Um, <laughs> you've done a lot of what I would consider non-mainstream things. Well, like I said, I was a weird little kid that grew up to be a, a weird <laughs> adult, I suppose. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, uh, I you know I always like sort of dark stuff, and that ended up with me. I I did animation for a while, but I always I have do I also uh, do various like visual art forums. I I make Krampus masks nowadays. Nowadays, but um, so yeah, I mean I always kind of drawn to different ways of expressing that. Uh, damage or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the Krampus is sort of a nice fit for me, I think. So, uh, where are you located? You in LA? I'm in Los Angeles. Yes, uh, very non-alpine Los Angeles. I'm hoping that you've been able to steer clear of those devastating wildfires that are, you know, throughout not, parts yeah, of California. Yeah, not anywhere near that that part of town. That's Good. near the beach. Good, you're lucky. Um, so thank you. I, it, we're, we're safe and sound. I just have to say that here in the Northeast, because I'm in upstate New York, um, we have seen snow uh, started about two weeks ago, which is way earlier than it usually does. At least any kind of snow that sticks to the ground. And they're continually calling for more. So I guess my point here is it's not even Thanksgiving yet, but a lot of us are thinking Christmas. And when we think Christmas, we think Santa Claus. But some people think Krampus. So... You first started looking into the Krampus folklore, you said, around uh, 2000, you know, as we turned into the new millennium. Yeah, and then in more, uh, more, <clears throat> more earnestly, um, I don't think I had actually decided I was had to write this book yet. I had written another book before, and I it was a journalist and contributed articles for magazines and websites. But um, at some point around in 2012, um, I thought, well, why don't I try to see one of these uh, Krampus runs I've been hearing about in person? Um and started researching where I, where that would best be done. The, they're you know they're not all over Germany, not all over Austria. Um, so there are certain regions, and then of those, I was kind of looking for the places that would be uh, the most uh, like the most of a time capsule traditionalist. And luckily, uh, traditionalist means a little more wild and chaotic and exciting. So I ended up basically on YouTube looking for footage from different different areas. And uh, there's an area. About a little over an hour south of Salzburg, uh, the Gustein Valley, which is known as like the the most traditional area, and that means it's real. It's pretty unstructured there, so it's a little a little more rough and tumble. <laughs> and you're saying that these were festivals? Well, um, so the Krampus is uh, there's a kind of, there's two kind of uh, phenomena in Europe associated with the Krampus. Uh, first, I should say like most Americans know it like primarily from. Um, Around 2000, when I when I got interested, um, and there's an author, a collector in Chicago named Mart, um, Monty Beauchamp, who had collected a lot of old Krampus postcards, and these were um, these were popular in the early days of the Austrian uh, postal system. They're actually some of the they were the first to send postcards. So there are these like beautiful little lithographs of this devil carrying away children. So I knew of I knew of those, and that had gotten me interested, but. Uh, <clears throat> the the uh, the actual what actually happens in Austria is quite different. That's that's a sort of a, those representations are made by artists and cities, and this is a kind of country. This is a rural practice in areas where there's people make their living by cheese making and goat farming. It not and originally it's more more a little more rustic, and then it kind of spread to the cities. So uh, so uh, that those are the, those are the kind of areas you want to go to see the the fun stuff, the rough stuff, and the the. Two phenomena are the uh, Krampus Run, which is uh, something that's actually being emulated here in the U.S. nowadays. Uh, you'll, there's like a couple, maybe a dozen or so cities that are trying to uh, do something similar to what they have in Europe. And uh, 
that's basically it's a sort of a it's sort of like a chaotic uh, Halloween parade uh, where the Krampuses will troops of Krampuses. That's usually about maybe six Krampuses will gather at one point and then march through a city and along the way they'll they swat at spectators. It's kind of a big playful kind of like they almost swat? like a did you say they, they swat at them? Is that what you said? Swat at them, yes. They carry <laughs> so the Krampus so okay. the uh, the idea behind it the is that the Krampus is a punisher that accompanies Saint Nicholas. Uh you know, he's he's the uh, bad cop to Saint Nicholas's good cop. So Saint Nicholas's role would be to reward children um for their good behavior um and then the krampus is there to punish the bad so now in these krampus parades they're, they're it's, they call them krampus runs or the german word is Krampuslauf, which just means run or walk um so and it's kind of misleading because it's 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 more like it's more loping than anything else and then some sort of sudden starts and stops and chasing and uh it's it's not like a linear processional it's it's like as i said it's kind of like a mob scene is depending on the town so but you'll have a mass gathering of these krampuses running through a town with spectators sort of separate but more or less intermingled with the krampuses and people sort of just playfully being swatted at uh by by these by these Krampuses. So that would be one of the that's one of the phenomena. And then the older one is uh, uh, it's not happening all over Austria and Bavaria, uh, Germany that much anymore. But uh, it's the, the called the house visit, and this is where uh, somebody costumed as Saint Nicholas uh, and a troop of say six Krampuses will visit a home, and then Nicholas will walk in and talk to the children and ask them how they've been. The parents, well, he's supposed to know. He has like a, a golden book of all their deeds from the year. And usually what happens is the, the families usually know the folks in the troop. So they've like slipped the St. Nicholas figure, a little, uh, little, inter- a little notes that saying what, what little Johan and or little, uh, little Inga did that year. So he'll, he'll review their behavior and usually they end up being good. So they get a few little bits of gingerbread or some, he gives them little small treats. And then at the end of the visit, he'll say, and if you're bad, you know what happens. And then the Krampuses storm in. But that's a, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty rare tradition. Uh, now it's kind of dying out. And in that area I went, uh, that they do still practice that, but, uh, it's, so what you have is, uh, this idea of this, the Krampus run is basically a bunch of these little troops, six Krampuses and a necklace crisscrossing the town and maybe a lot of them on the main thoroughfare. Now, what's, so they kind of, the two phenomena kind of blend into each other. Are these, these, uh, the traditions that you're describing here, um, uh-huh. have they been ongoing for, you know, uh, ages or are they yeah. re- recently resurrected because of a renewed interest? Well, uh, you're very, that's a, that's, that is pretty much what's happened, and they've gone through a few resurrections. Uh, honestly, uh, the, the latest has been probably uh, thanks to the, the traditions kind of been spread on the Internet. So uh, originally areas in Germany where it wasn't really a practice, it's really only in the south in Bavaria. Now some other areas in Germany might have that kind of activity happening. Same for the western or the eastern part of Austria where it's not really as indigenous. And then, as I said, even in the U.S., people are sort of imitating the, the Krampus run. So and then, like so, I would say in like in the early 2000s, it kind of got a boost. But uh, <clears throat> and then there was a boost in the uh, uh, sort of, the, sort of things sort of began uh, in, more in earnest in the in the uh, 70s and 80s, I'd say. But for a while uh, in the 30s during the war, war time, there's just things kind of die, you know, get suppressed or die out. So then before the before the wars, it was. Uh, uh, not it was not that strong, and uh, kind of started in the 1800s, 
died like or was dying out in a lot of areas in the early 1900s and then after the wars kind of slowly grew 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 back to what it more 80s uh, sort of 1980s heyday and then this, the, another boost later with the internet so it's going to these cycles, basically. We were talking about uh, how this has kind of gone in cycles, whereby you know Krampus yeah. traditions were live and well. They kind of fade away for whatever the reason, whether it's war or disinterest, and then they come back. And it seems to me, in an age of um, what might be considered, uh, um, I don't know, hyper-tourism, uh, that this would be a really interesting tourist attraction, if nothing else. Is that doing anything to revive any of this? Yeah, I think so. I mean, definitely within the European countries, people come from other areas, Germany and Austria, and I'm sure other nearby countries. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, I, I talk to people, people get, tended to get in touch with me, Americans and some Brits asking about, you know, where should I go? So I, I was actually supposed to uh, lead a special interest Krampus tour this year, but that didn't quite come together, but I may be doing it next year. So, yeah, I think it is. Um it's definitely, uh, you know, Christmas in um, Christmas in German-speaking countries in Europe is are really actually already kind of a big business. They have a uh, uh, long tradition of something called a Weihnachtsmarkt, a Christmas market, which is a place where people go to uh, buy tr- sort of ornaments for handmade stuff, ornaments for trees uh, and uh, little gifts, and also uh, for some entertainment to drink mulled wine and so forth. So, and that has, so some cities have big reputations for that. And that's actually a huge business in, in Germany with bus pulls of tourists coming from elsewhere in Europe, uh, especially elsewhere in Germany uh, and Austria. Uh, so they kind of already have that. I mean, Christmas has actually been an export product of, of yeah. Germany, uh, certainly for America. You know, a lot of our Christmas traditions are already uh, from pretty directly from Germany. Uh, so uh, the, the Krampus seems to be kind of the newest addition to that. Well, it's, it, it is interesting because I've spent uh, many months in Germany and uh, as a tourist more than anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, in many of those visits, I would stop in the uh, in frequently in Bavarian villages, uh, these Christmas mm-hmm. shops that exist in these little towns um, with yep. their handmade uh, Christmas items. And I used to do it oh, for my you've mother. Been, you've been to some of those, and it sounds like. Yeah, I absolutely have. So I know exactly what you're talking about. It is so quaint and so pretty, and they do such a neat job of uh, representing these traditions. So let's let's back this story up just a little bit. Yeah. If um, someone came to you for the first time and said, Al, what the heck is Krampus? How would you describe it? Well, uh, the most at the most basic level, the Krampus is kind of just a, a seasonal boogeyman. He's the thing that the parents use to get the right behavior out of the kids. If you're not good, I mean, we, we, we do it a little bit. We, we do it more in this country with Santa Claus. If you're not good this year, Santa won't bring you stuff. Uh, the Krampus, you know, he, he's more of a punisher than a rewarder. So he's kind of a, he's a, <clears throat> he's a boogeyman that parents will use to, uh, to uh, threaten the kids. And historically, um, as far as, even even before um, this figure was uh, someone necessarily that was impersonated by people dressing up in these costumes, uh, he was probably just this unseen kind of shadowy thing that you know kids imagined what he looked like, but you know no one no one really knew. And these are also you know this is starting this is starting in a time and place without you know there's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of pictorial imagery representing the thing. So he was a kind of a it, it, so I would. I would say he started as a sort of a creature of 
children's imaginations, whatever they took the, the adult threats to mean. And uh, so the look of the thing um, kind of got has gotten somewhat standardized. Um, you know, the if you picture a Krampus now, what you would normally picture is a, uh, a devil like it looks looks mostly like a devil uh, in the as they said, there are those postcards, which are kind of one image. And then the the real life uh, sort of costume tradition I can describe that a little better. That's usually a costume made with long, shaggy uh, pelts covering the whole body. Uh, uh, the ma masks are worn that are sort of uh, roughly carved and grotesque and then topped by uh, some kind of uh, goat horns, usually some t t tall horns. And then around his uh, belt, he wears around his waist, he wears a belt with a Large, heavy bells, which uh, originally would have been the bells in these communities that, you know, were raising livestock, raising goats and sheep. Uh, so there were livestock bells, but they just they added to his, the kind of the shock of his appearance. He jumps in the room and he has these clanging bells on his belt, which makes, makes the whole thing more shocking. And then he'd carry, would, would carry some sort of implement of punishment, which would be uh, traditionally might be the birch switches that, you know, we People can I met, know what those would be like, or uh, they're actually those things would actually have been old fireplace brooms, that kind of thing you'd sweep up cinders around a, a hearth in an old, you know, an old farmer's uh, quarters. So, and then nowadays, they, instead of the birch switches, uh, a lot of the a lot of the uh, Krampuses will use another thing that has also become traditional, which is a, a sort of lighter uh, whip made out of like a horse's tail. So it's a long, you know, long. Long strands of horse, horse, uh, horse fur, horse, horse uh, hair. So yeah, some kind of whip, bells, uh, and a mask with horns, and uh, bodies covered by fur. So that would be your. That's basically what a Krampus looks like nowadays. And it all, like it, just like we just said, it all comes kind of from the environment where this sort of boogeyman, this idea arose. And it, at some point uh, uh, in the uh, in the 1800s. People started dressing up as these characters, and that's that's kind of what came together. Well, you know, it's been a long time since I've been young enough to have visions of sugar plums uh, dancing through my head at Christmas time, or to fear a stocking full of coal from Santa. But what you just described to me is the stuff of nightmares. I mean, that is. I mean, talking about a, 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 a using a, a stick instead of a carrot to get a good behavior out of a child, but that is just gruesome in some ways. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's a plane going right up. That's not bothering the sound. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, it is scary. You have to remember that the kids have grown up with these things, and they're older. You know, they their older brothers and cousins have brought home their costumes, so they, you know, they they've seen these things. It's not as terrifying as it was, would be for an American kid thrown into it, but they're 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 they are quite impressive, especially en masse. Uh, Krampus. Um, one of the things people don't really understand, Americans don't necessarily understand about. The Krampus is that he's uh, he's a herd animal. He's not a it's not a singular entity. Um, again, a lot of us were introduced to this uh, this figure through those postcards, and they would always show a single single one of these devils. But uh, as the practices sort of acted out the costume tradition, there's always like a little troop of them. There's always you know about usually there's about six somewhere over at least four, and you might have as many as ten or twelve in the bigger troops. So you have a whole a whole bunch of these monsters waiting outside your house if you're a, a, a kid in Austria or Bavaria. It, it, it goes from bad to worse here. Um, so I've got to ask you, though, you, as you described it, you made a good point. Culturally, the children uh, in Germanic countries maybe 
would be more familiar with this creature, so therefore it would be less frightening yeah. to them. So could we equate that to let's I'm trying to I'm trying to think of something that might be similar here in the United States. Uh, you know, maybe Halloween ghouls. Uh, we're used to that, so they don't scare us because we know they're not real. Um, is that kind of how the German Germanic children might see Kramp- the Krampus? Well, yeah, I mean, it's part of, yeah, it's part of the community. As I said, it's going to be, now the, the, the house visits, which are the older tradition, it's, that's going to, the troops that visit the homes are going to be uh, friends of the family, relatives, uh, you know, the, the unmasked character, the St. Nicholas, um, will be somebody they would probably, probably recognize. It could be some, they might not, but because, and as I said, they, you know, they've seen the, They've seen they've seen the masks, you know, the the, the families they've seen the masks, you know, around town or being, you know, hidden in the back room or something. The families actually make some effort to, you know, kind of keep things secret the way we do with kids and Santa Claus traditions. But um, yeah, because because it's something that's close to them, I, I think it's a it's a little less frightening. Not to say that kids <laughs> kids there don't have terrible phobia. Some of them. Some, I, I'm talking to people about this tradition. People that grew up with it. Some of them do remember like hiding under the bed or being terrified. So there's a yeah, there's a range of reactions. But uh, you know, one way um, one way that fear is dealt with is uh, the kids. As you get as the 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 thing is sort of built around kids. I would say it's sort of geared towards kids that are I would you know say five to you know nine years old or ten years old. And you know, when you're once you're a, if you're a boy, it's, it is mainly boys still. But if you know you're a boy and you're eight or nine or seven, you're kind of getting towards the end of that spectrum. And then the next thing you're thinking about is uh, when you get to be a Krampus. And then so you'll see the older kids that are still still being treated like kids. They'll actually be particularly aggressive with the Krampus as they'll kind of test, want to show their <laughs> bravery by kind of taunting them and seeing if they'll chase them. So you know, they kind of work they work their way out of their fear into becoming a Krampus themselves. When you described, um, and I actually looked through your website and I saw a bunch of uh, photos. I'm trying to remember which part of the website it was on. By the way, you can check out boneandsickle.com. Is that where you had all the like the festival or not? Oh, fe- actually, yeah. Or was that, that a different is a site? website for my podcast, which is not specifically about Krampus, but is about folklore. Um, I the I also have a website uh, for the. It's more or less geared to the events that I do here in Los Angeles because I also organize Krampus events here, but it's KrampusLosAngeles.com, and there are would-be photos there of, yeah. uh, of uh, people suited up in L.A., not European Krampuses necessarily. Yeah, I, uh, My book is chock full of those, though. Right. No, I was looking through those photos and listening to your description mm-hmm. just a moment ago, and it almost seems like this the Krampus has a bit of a Yeti or maybe even a Sasquatchy uh, look to him or el- some elements well. from, from there. Yeah, he, he is a creature of the mountains. I mean, again, it's like uh, the costumes are coming from these long-haired uh, animals that are, you know, native to the Alps uh, that have these heavy pelts that, you know, protect them from the weather. So he kind of inherits that kind of mountain, uh, uh, mountain, uh, mountain animal feel. Uh, when I know when I when I went to Austria and the first Krampuses I saw, I was being driven up a dark road to my hotel, a little higher in the mountains, and I remember seeing. A few of the a few of them, a little troop walking along the side of the road, and yeah, it looks. I, I thought we, while they were catch, catching, I thought I was catching glimpse of some sort of animal, or it did feel like some kind of cryptid, some yeti along the roadside. 
Um, you know, and especially when you see them in, in the mountains in kind of a natural environment, it, it does, does feel like that. We're talking with Al Ridenauer about his book, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. And Al, there's a tagline that goes along with that book, too. It's not just that. It actually gets a little creepier, right? It's, uh, um, I can't read it from here, but Roots and Rebirth of the folkloric folkloric devil (laughs) that last word is the one that really really gets me is krampus is the krampus a demonic creature uh yes uh he uh he is uh well he he comes from two sources he comes from church tradition and also from pagan tradition but uh you know in the uh, scenario i described with the saint nicholas character he uh he is sort of, you know, he's the consequences as laid out by theology of the church. He's he's one of the demons. He's a demon, um, and uh, he, uh, you know, the way the way the whole tradition plays out, it's a little more uh, a little more playful and a little more game like. So maybe some of that aura of evil is not not really felt by people involved in it. But you know, the imagery, the horned the horned figure, and uh, Horn figure who's actually whose role is to drag you off for punishment. It's uh, it's not said that the children are going to go to hell, but uh, I think it's understood in some cases. In other cases, the folklore has it that he's going to eat the children or throw them in a lake. Uh, there's there's different things that are associated with the uh, the outcome of him dragging them off. But the idea is he's going to take the children away if they're bad. And they, I think, as like I said, this is kind of a boogeyman character where. The imagination fills in what happens once he drags them away from away from home. But you know, he looks like the sort of thing you wouldn't expect anything to good of anything good to come of being being dragged off by by a thing like that. And explain to me the relationship between the Krampus and Saint Nick or Santa Claus, as we would know it more commonly. Yeah, well, um, I, we should probably call him Saint Nicholas because uh, remember this is a. This is an old tradition from a Catholic country, and it's—I uh, I, always—I always need to point out that it's not literally a Christmas tradition. It's in the Christmas season, but it's associated with the uh, Catholic Saints' Day, Saint Saint Nick, the actual Saint Nicholas, uh, whose day is December sixth. So all of this happens uh, traditionally on the eve of the day, the December fifth, or sometimes on the sixth. It, in practice, it happens sometimes the weekends too on either side of that, but it's an early, uh, early, early December tradition. So uh, he, yeah, he's sort of a stand-in for the devil himself. So he's a lesser demon, I guess you would say. Um, and he, he Nicholas, he's actually he actually obeys Nicholas. Nicholas is a, is in charge of this scenario, but uh, the Krampus does enjoy his work. He does enjoy uh, frightening the children and dragging them off to for whatever fate. So, uh, but it, but Nicholas is is in charge of the whole affair. Um, there's, uh, I know a lot of Americans when they first hear about Krampus, they think, uh, well, first they think of Santa Claus, which it's not quite that character, um, and they think that he's sort of the opposite and just as powerful. But in the traditional scenario, like I said, he's he works under him. He does he does the dirty work uh, of in, of enforcing the enforcing the this this uh, scenario of sin and punishment. We've got about a, a just a little less than a minute here before we have to go to our top of the hour break. Take that moment and guide people through uh, your websites and where they can get more information on this. And then on the other side of the break, we'll get into this story in a little more detail. 
Oh, yes. Uh, well, uh, they can go to Krampus, Los Angeles. If they happen to be in Southern California, they'll see the events that we put on. There's something on December 1st and December 13th. And there's also a link uh, for my book. Uh, you can also just find the book uh, on Amazon, The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas, and uh, my podcast in which I talk about folklore and how it intersects historically with uh, horror and, and the sort of darker things is uh, called it's boneandsickle.com. And that's a podcast that you do? Yeah, I do. I've been doing it now for since last May, and I kind of got inspired while working on the on the Krampus book. I, there was so much other creepy folklore that I thought people, you know, that I like, and I thought people who enjoy that topic would sort of like to expand outward and 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 hear other bits of history and uh, legend and uh, macabre tales uh, that uh, kind of have the same feel as the Krampus folklore. All, all right up my alley. All perfect. Uh, we're going to continue our conversation with Al Ridenauer about Krampus in just a few minutes. Um, before that, I want to mention that the next few nights, because of the Thanksgiving holiday, will be best of programs. We've got some great interviews from the files coming um to you over the next few nights. There's some of our better, uh, well, some of the good ones that we remember from last year. So it's going to be good stuff. We appreciate you joining us for those. That'll be Wednesday, Thursday, and of course, every Friday night is a best of program. We'll be back with you live on Monday night. The phone lines are open if you want to join our conversation at 844-687-7669. We always enjoy your input. We also would like you to stop by the website at beyondrealityradio.com and like us on Facebook at Beyond Reality Radio and stop by my personal Facebook page as well. I appreciate you doing that and giving it a like. It's JV Johnson or just check out JVJ Paranormal. You can also find it there. By the way, Anybody who's watching uh, the skies, when I say the skies, I specifically mean outer space. We had a great conversation last night uh, with Seth Shawstock about uh, the uh, effort to listen for intelligent life in the cosmos as SETI continues to monitor radio waves hitting Earth to see if there's any intelligence in any of those. Well, there's another um, interesting uh, event that's about to happen here for people who are interested in these things, and we certainly are. But uh, NASA has a craft that is about to land on Mars. It's the first NASA mission to Mars in many, many years. Uh, It's called InSight, and it'll make a grand entrance into the Martian skies after a six-month, 300-million-mile journey. It's the first American spacecraft to land since Curiosity did in 2012, so it's been six years. Now, this particular uh, craft is designed to be a um, bit of a geologist, if you will. It's going to drill into the Martian surface and determine, try to determine some things like uh, the core temperature of Mars. It's also going to try to monitor any um, uh, seismic activity on Mars to see if there are any such thing as Mars quakes as opposed to earthquakes. Um, and it has not. No, this has never been done before. In fact. It's going to uh, dig down about 16 feet into the Martian surface and uh, make these measurements. And the last time we've done anything like that was actually by the Apollo astronauts. They dug eight feet into the Earth's, or excuse me, the moon's surface. Um, That was about 50 years ago to check lunar heat measurements. So this will be a pretty interesting mission for NASA. It's a joint mission between NASA and the European Space Agency. So we're going to continue to monitor that and see uh, what that craft uh, sends back to us in, in the form of data. Always exciting stuff when we continue to learn more about the other planets in our solar system and other parts of our universe. Let's bring Al Ridenauer back into the program. Al, again, thanks for being here. We really appreciate this conversation as we get 
close to Krampus Day. And if I remember correctly, I think it's December 5th. Isn't that the day that uh, folklore tells us that Krampus makes his, uh, his visits to homes? Yeah, we're a little over a week away. We are just so a week. Very, wow. very timely. <laughs> it's actually kind of incredible. I can. I still think we're in August or something. I don't even know where the where the time has gone. Uh, it's unbelievable <laughs> to me that we're looking at Thanksgiving this week, but we are. Uh, it just speeds by. Now, um, what did Hollywood get wrong? Because Hollywood to- took took what is a fol- folklore, basically a legend, and really twisted it for its own purposes and made it a horror story. Yeah. Um, you know, it draws yeah. on the legend, draws on the folklore, but it's it's a lot more. I'll use the word fiction, even though there's fiction in both accounts. Um, but it's a lot more. It's it it it, it leaves the the folklore behind, doesn't it? Well, yeah. If any if, for people who have seen the movie and been listening to some of this program, they probably won't re- recognize too much of what I said in the movie. And there, yeah, there there wasn't very much uh, of the actual folklore in the movie. I guess I could. I could tick off some of the boxes of things that were were, were wrong with it. Um, for one, and again, uh, as I said, that Krampus usually comes in groups, so they treat the the creature as a sort of singular entity. And you know, it, people might find it odd that I keep saying the Krampus uh, because it, it's not a proper name. Um, what I always try to explain it as uh, the difference between vampires and Dracula. It's so Krampus isn't his name, and there's more than one of them. It's a it's a species name, kind of. So in this, you know, in their film, they had one, and they sort of sized them up to the size of three or four of them. You know, and the way they're costumed in the costume tradition, they're, they're human size. But um, they also took they extracted the whole thing about really. It didn't seem in the movie that he was uh, he was in, enforcing good or bad behavior. As I recall, he was pretty destructive and horrible to everything and everyone so he wasn't under the saint's control which is not not not, i guess not much fun for a horror movie to have a saint in there but they kind of got rid of that which kind of undoes his his entire meaning what was odd about the movie was they actually inserted uh, they had an austrian actress so somebody from the country who would know better uh they had they wrote her lines where she does i guess it's kind of a flashback of when she was a kid and she talks about her memories of this folklore from her childhood in Austria. It's all, it's all sort of, it's all fabricated. So it's kind of funny that they, <laughs> they bothered with that. What's, what's uh, especially f- funny to me was that because I'm based in Los Angeles and we'd been doing these, uh, our own uh, version of a Krampus run here. And I give talks in the Krampus every year. And we actually, uh, we even at one point produced uh, an old 19th century Krampus play. So, you know, I'm obviously very into the real tradition and I guess because the the producers are, were aware of what we were doing, they kind of asked me to go to one of their uh, press screenings, and I think they wanted us to help with the promotion of the film. And uh, I went to the, the screening, and honestly, the director, um, ah, his name is basing on the name now, but he had made another film called Trick or Treat, which I thought was a fun film and actually scary and actually funny. And I, I like horror films, as I implied earlier, and I like horror comedies. I think it's kind of a fun combination, but I didn't find the movie really effective in either way beyond the folklore. So as I stepped to the screening, I was kind of uncomfortable and sort of slipped away after. And the next day they sent me an email saying, so are you on board? I think they wanted, they wanted us to do some like DVD extras or something, a little talk about, you know, what the real tradition was. And I just said, they, I said, 
So how did you like the, the movie? And I said, well, I would have liked it better if there was a Krampus in it because it was so remote <laughs> from any of the actual actual stuff, uh, any, any of the actual tradition. And uh, yeah, they had been fed a lot of information. They were very eager to get the uh, the Latino demographic. So I think they talked to somebody who was willing to tell them that the Krampus had some sort of Latino uh, thread in the tradition. Somebody had told them that the Krampus was the the son of Santa Muerte and uh, the saint of the death, saint of death and and the devil or something. So they were they were kind of off in their own world. Um, so yeah, I didn't that didn't really work out as a promotional thing for them. But uh, I mean that's not I mean that was the big one that got promoted and what it's done promoted like crazy. They had a huge publicity campaign. I know in LA we're constantly seeing posters for it on bus stops and buses and so forth. But, uh, you know, because of the movie, at least I do, I kind of don't have to start from scratch explaining what this Krampus thing is when I, when I talk to people. It did, you know, it raised kind of a general awareness of what the creature is, that it's a sort of monster associated with Christmas. But yeah, the, the whole sort of, it's an evil Santa Claus thing is not, you know, it doesn't really describe it very well. It, um, I, I got to make an admission here. I haven't seen it, and uh, the reason I haven't uh, seen not it, recommend it, yeah, obviously. that's 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 the reason I hadn't seen it is because I didn't yeah. uh, I didn't see many people who thought it was actually well done. Um, well, they actually didn't. They did that thing with that movies when they know they're not going when they know they're not going to do well critically. I think it did fine at the box office actually because people like horror films and they're like, oh, a Christmas horror film that's something different. But they did that. They did the thing that the studios do when they don't want to have any bad reviews before it's released and they didn't have any actual press screenings. My screening was like a different kind of screening, I guess. <laughs> so there were no reviews released before the film. So, well, yeah, a lot of people didn't know what to make of it. So, but I think, uh, and you touched on this, I think what it did do is it created a curiosity. It, it made people aware, yeah. of, A, that this this uh, folklore existed, and whether or not they saw the film, they were curious as to what it was. Yeah, and Hollywood always takes, you know, legends, and we we don't expect Hollywood to give us the straight folklore, the straight straight legend. What's unfortunate, though, is there is, you know, there's a lot of good stuff there they they could have used, and especially if you dig back deeper into uh, <clears throat> the the roots of the folklore. I, I've only talked really about the Krampus per se, and that as it as as we know it only exists from maybe the 1800s. But you go back further, and there's all these older older uh, myths and figures that kind of fed into the tradition that are even more perfect for horror films. Uh, there's a character <clears throat> that appears not on December 5th, uh, St. Nicholas Day, but on Epiphany, January 5th, who is a female character called Frau Perste. And she kind of is similar in that she is in charge uh, of enforcing sort of the domestic order of a, in a home. She's kind of more geared towards disciplining the uh, young late young uh, the servants and women of the household she's all about getting the flax spun in time but what's particularly gruesome about her is she's if the if this her all of her wishes aren't followed she's famous for uh slitting open the bellies of, of those who haven't done what they're supposed to do and uh, gutting them and filling them back with straw or rocks or ice and just stitching them back with an iron needle so you know pretty gruesome stuff pretty great horror film stuff that uh, could have been in there instead of gingerbread, gingerbread man. I don't know <laughs> what. What is it about um, these uh, legend, these folk, this folklore that really borders on the horrific? Uh, you know, I can understand scaring ki- kids to be good, but man, this I just still go back to the fact that this seems to take it to an extreme, and it's not. I've heard more than just those two stories. I've heard more than the Krampus. I've heard more than the one that you've just spoken about. These are common throughout, particularly medieval uh, stories that uh, you know become part of culture. 
Well, I mean, we have this same fascination with the grotesque and frightening. Now, you look at what kind, you look at what kind of films are popular, and you know, horror and fantasy and science fiction always with gruesome elements is is uh, you know, it's extremely popular. I, I, one thing that in just doing this sort of research in general. I feel like people haven't changed that much. It's just sort of this is a different medium. It's coming to us in. And in the old days, it came through sort of folk tales. But now we see it all, you know, we see it graphically realized on screens. And we have, you know, we have VR simulations of gruesome things and, and games where we get to do gruesome things to people. So yeah. it was more a verbal, you know, more an oral tradition back then. But, you know, the same sort of things have always fascinated us. And as far as exposing, you know, children, ch- children, you know, children weren't, uh, the idea that children are delicate is yeah. is, is relatively new. It that kind is, of came about in the Victorian era. Yeah. So yeah, the, you know, exposing children to this sort of thing it, that is something that's changed definitely. Yeah, that that's a good point. I mean, you, you get um, you 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 can get uh, a visit by a government official if you threaten to spank your child anymore. Let alone um, you know tell them stories about uh, somebody who's going to yeah. gut, gut them if they're, they don't behave. I mean, <laughs> it's quite extreme. Um, go ahead. Oh, and some of this, you know, uh, the kids don't necessarily believe this either. You know, it's like the babysitter telling the kid the story and, you know, they, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then, you know, they <laughs> finished the story with the guy with the hook coming in the car and kill, you know, we have, you know, we still kids entertain each other with, you know, gruesome stories, uh, you know, still all of our like urban legends, Bloody Mary, all that kind of thing. You know, kids, kids come up with their own That's frightening true. things that they, you know, that they share among themselves too. Very true. Al, this is a kind of a short segment here, but I know that you, um, you've got several speaking engagements coming up. You talk about uh, some related topics, not all Krampus specifically. Uh, tell us what you've got coming up here. And then on the other side of the break, we'll get back into this Krampus story. Uh, for people in Southern California, I'll be speaking at the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana on uh, medieval Yule, and uh, believe it or not, that actually ties in with some of the material I've been talking about. And uh, people in Tucson, I'll be out there talking about the Krampus with a Krampus in tow, I believe, um, on uh, December 12th at the uh, Museum of Modern Art there. Do you give talks throughout the course of the year, or is it, is it uh, pretty specific to the holiday season? It's kind of it is it is kind of seasonal. People that want to hear me talk other times of the year can listen to my podcast Bone and Sickle, um, and uh, we definitely touch we touch on stuff as I was saying that is kind of related to this all all sorts of dark folklore. So uh, they can hear me yakking all year round that way every every two weeks uh, on <laughs> I, Mondays uh, the show comes out. And I know your uh, the website boneandsickle dot com. I know that you've got a lot of links there so that people can find the podcast, figure out how to subscribe to it. Some of that's still a little tricky for me. I never quite understand it. If I can't find it's on it, all the major any anywhere you might listen, it's on Apple Podcasts. It's, it's on Stitcher. If you're an Android user, you can get it on Podcast Addict or any of the any of those apps too. So you can also just find it on the bone. Or listen on the website itself. Is that something you do by yourself, or do you do it with someone else? Um, I have another. It's not because it's uh, it's sort of done as a. <laughs> it's a sort of fictional world that we're in, so it's a little bit. Uh, I have another person who acts in the show. I should say so he he assists me. He reads parts of uh, books or quotes and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly me. Tonight we're talking with Al Ridenauer about his book about the Krampus and. Al, um, in the uh, segment we've got left here, um, I want to ask a couple more questions about Krampus, but then I want to get into some more things that you do. Um, so as it, as it relates to the Krampus, we've talked about uh, he 
is kind of a stick, not a carrot when it comes to motivating kids. He punishes the bad mm-hmm. kids. Um, in fact, he doesn't punish. He, he he doesn't he steal them. Doesn't he take them? Isn't that kind of what the the mythology well, says? That's the, that's the folklore. I mean, in practice, when these guys enter a house in costume, right. they always <laughs> they never take them from their home. So yeah. there's the story there's told, and there's what's acted out. Does he do anything for the good children, or does he leave that to Saint Nicholas? That's yeah. That's that's Nicholas's job. He does. So there's he he does he offers nothing but the punishment. He's the corporal punishment side of the whole thing. He is he is the bad cop. And Nicholas is good <laughs> cop. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, some of the events because uh, you do. Uh, you, you said yeah, kind of a, your version of the Krampus run. Um, I've seen things like Krampus uh, proms or Krampus balls. Uh, that take place around uh, holiday time. Are you familiar with any of that stuff, and do you participate in any of that? Well, we do something like that on December 1st. We do something called the Krampus Ball, which is something we've been doing here in Los Angeles since 2012. Um, and it is, it's it's a, a, a sort of Krampus-themed party with uh, music and an appearance by our Krampus troupe. So you have like 20, 30 costume Krampus has charged the audience at one, at one point in the evening. Um, and we also have uh, one of our uh, year-to-year, they, they've been the headliner recently, uh, is a band called Krampstein, which does uh, covers of the German band Rammstein's uh, music, but they're done in uh, those Krampus versions, and the, they're sort of reworked, and the performers perform in Krampus costumes, too, so it's, it's quite a sight. So that's the, yeah that's like the that's that's our version of uh, the sort of thing the prom or a ball or what you've been talking about. A lot of the people come in costumes too. They, it's not necessary, but it's it's a real it's very festive because it's in Los Angeles. So people do get creative in, in, in how they're going to show up at an event like that. So we do the Krampus ball, and then on December thirteenth we do an actual our uh, Krampus run in downtown Los Angeles. We close off a little street, and uh, we have our Nicholas. He uh, sits on a uh, last few years, uh, he sits on an old like 19th century steam car, which is a bit of an LA thing. Where you know we're all about cars in the city, so uh, that gives him a platform where people can see him too. And then he's surrounded by the Krampuses and the, who are kind of who charge the audience or the spectators and chase them and smack them and pose for <laughs> pictures. And it's a good chaotic time uh, in downtown Los Angeles uh, on December 13th. It's a Thursday night because we do it in conjunction with. Uh, a monthly art walk that happens down here. So we get some of the gallery crowd coming over, but we have a lot of families that don't even go know about the art walk and just come for the event itself. I always crack up a little bit. Every time you, I hear you say they charge the audience, <laughs> chase them around. I just think that yeah. is so, that sounds like so much fun. Um, and it little- is fun. Uh, you know, people, uh, you see the smiles, uh, <laughs> they see the <laughs> smiles on people's faces because, you know, we're not used to having that kind of public interaction. You're being chased by a costume stranger. Um, you know, even a Halloween parade, uh, some, you know, big cities that have those kinds of things, you know, it's not as interactive. And we worried about the, tradition at first you know how it would be how it would work over here but you know our troop members our Krampuses are very careful you know they they kind of like you know they watch to see how people react and a lot of people want to be it you know you can tell they're kind of teasing or they're getting out there and they're kind of they want to be chased so you know there's always a little bit of a you're, you're always kind of 
scanning the crowd to see <laughs> who wants who wants to you know engage and who doesn't. So, so we you know we try to be careful with it. And they you know they do the same in Europe too. But obviously it's a little different here because we have to be careful. But usually people that show up for that event know what they're. No, they know what they're getting yeah. into, and the, you know, or your game. They know what they're getting. I guess you don't go to, to the running of the bulls and, and jump in there unless right. you check to be chased by the bulls. So I guess that's kind of right. you know why people <laughs> will show up. Um, did I read it correctly? Do you also direct a, a Krampus play? I have. We haven't done it for a couple of years now, but yeah, it's actually uh, it's an authentic play. From it's it's excerpts from a play because the actual plays are really long, but uh, uh, one that I translated myself and. Uh, uh, it's all done in rhyme. That's uh, so it sounds sort of like a demented Dr. Seuss book. Um, so all the characters speak in rhyme, and the Krampus does speak in those in in the old plays. Uh, these are from the 1800s, or with roots going back even further. And uh, so the Krampus talks to Saint Nicholas about how he's been spying on the children and how they've been bad in church and fighting with their siblings and so forth. And uh, then, uh, it's, uh, then at the end of the play, uh, the Krampus's m- uh, master, the chief Krampus, who goes by the name Lucifer in this case, has a long sermon about what's going to happen to all the sinners. So, you know, it's from that time and place, a more devout time and place where, you know, this sort of stuff is probably taken more seriously. But also, I, as I always emphasize, I think even, you know, back in the day, people also thought it was kind of fun and funny. Uh, you know, this is from the 1800s, so it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't all. It wasn't all taken literally. Now, are we sure about this uh, pronunciation of the plural of Krampus? Is is it Krampuses, is it, or, or could it be Krampi? <laughs> People always want to say Krampi. <laughs> that's like for that's for Latin, though. It's a German word. If you want to know the truth, it's Krampus in German. But I don't try to. I, I say Krampus in an American way. I mean, <laughs> this is an American word now. It's not, I don't consider it a loan word anymore. I mean, so I just use the English in you know, a Krampuses. Now, uh, um, what I noted in, in uh, reading a little bit about you is that you, and you mentioned it here tonight, actually, you're a horror film fan as well. Yes. And yeah. um, always have been. I, I came along and it was part of that Monster Kid generation. Uh, we were all, uh, I was a kid in the uh, late 60s when uh, the TV networks or the TV stations were trying to fill up their broadcast schedule with packages. They'd gotten cheap packages of old horror films from Universal from the 30s and 40s, so those were all being circulated, and there was kind of a monster craze. So I, uh, I did hook, line, and sinker, and uh, kind of was obsessed, and then sort of went on to study, you know, get into it a little more seriously with studying Gothic literature and so forth. But yeah, I, uh, I've always, I always have been a horror fan. Well, you described my childhood as you were as those words were leaving your lips. So yeah, <laughs> I think say, a lot of people yeah into this sort of thing would fit that. So if I had to ask you, uh, what a couple of your favorites were, could you off the top of your head give me a few titles? Oh, I well, I, I still I still have uh, I mean I still have a lot of affection for the old movies. Some of them don't hold up. Uh, one that I think does that I just watched on Halloween was The Bride of Frankenstein. I think that's just such that film has such a great combination of a sort of in, uh, knowing humor kind of campiness but also some real pathos and beautiful uh all the it's all shot indoors so the sets are all sort of so artistically done it's all painted backdrop skies and everything's so controlled uh i, I think that that's a great film with the, some great characters and Karloff is at his best there um that's one of the old movies i like um you know i'm i guess i'm <laughs> from so, you know, I'm talking about the Krampus and German traditions. So I also really liked uh, uh, Herzog's, uh, Werner Herzog's remake of the uh, old silent film Nosferatu, which I think is one of the creepiest vampire films there. there is. Which one? The written Nosferatu itself or? 
Uh, there, there was one made in 1922, and then in 1979, Werner Herzog remade it. Uh, he's kind of known more for things like Grizzly Man, but that, that's one of his uh, kind of films that got him a bit more of a reputation in the U.S. I think they shot in both English and German, so there was an American version they released. Some of the scenes are actually composed uh, to match the original scenes of the 1922. Was that, was that the one with Willem Dafoe, or am I thinking of something else? Oh no no no! That was with, it's with Klaus Kinski, who was in all of Herzog's uh, all of his fiction, all of his narrative films, not not documentaries, of course. Uh, Kinski has a great face. He is a very uh, very flim, uh, very uh, is a very sort of fantastic face that hits all sorts of expressions on a dime. It turns around these high cheekbones and lies that always look crazy. So he looked good in that Nosferatu makeup. He he wore it well. I don't know. I don't think I've seen that. Oh, I think I know what the William Defoe thing. I think you're thinking of. Oh, you're thinking of. Uh, yeah, you're thinking of Shadow of a Vampire, which is actually yes. a film about the making of Serato. Right. Yeah, William Defoe wasn't too bad as that character either. He also ha- he sort of has a face similar to Herzog, that kind of bony, dramatic right. muscle, uh, structure. Right. Well, if you haven't seen Kinski, I mean, sorry. Yeah, if you haven't seen Nosferatu, even though that's a silent film, it is creepy as heck. It is. Uh, it is a good one still. And and yeah. we're, we're so yeah, fortunate. We're so fortunate that a copy survived after it was ruled to be destroyed because of copyright infringement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what else you got coming up? You've, you're always uh, doing something. Uh, I know you're doing the podcast, but what other other projects are you working on? The podcast actually is. It's it's pretty time consuming. Yeah. Uh, I um, because it's I, I, the, the podcast isn't like just a couple of guys talking like we're doing now. It's uh, it's uh, I do a lot of research and then I kind of tell the stories and uh, I, I'll go into a topic like uh, uh, one of the episodes. The theme was lost heads. So for instance, it was all about stories of uh, of headless ghosts. Uh, Bodies that were supposed to have walked after they were decapitated, headless saints. There's a tradition of saints that would walk around after they're decapitated, holding their heads. Um, another episode was a uh, uh, recent one was about uh, the Victorian fascination with mummies and some early Victorian. A lot of people don't know that the, they think that the the mummy movies they maybe know the Karloff ones from the 30s, but they don't realize there were a lot of stories uh, that written before that that made use of similar figures, even. Bram Stoker, who wrote uh, Dracula, of course, uh, had written a, a, a mummy, a book that you know nobody really knows about, called Jewel of the Seven Stars. So uh, another one was about the folklore behind the Pied uh, Piper. There's all sorts of interesting theories. It's, there's actually uh, some notes in the Countdown Chronicles of Hamelin that suggested a bunch there was a mass exodus of people from the from the from the city. So looking at all stuff like that, that you know, as I said, kind of the the nexus of folklore and history and horror, dark dark topics. It's all good. It's all great stuff. Um, if somebody was in their community and they wanted to try to organize a Krampus run, do you offer guidance? Is there something on your website, or do you consult, or anything like that that would help yeah, folks I mean, put this stuff together? Do reach out to me because I think we've been we're kind of one of the longer running runs, and we're pretty. You know, this is Los Angeles. They're so pretty serious about authentic looking costumes you know a lot of people work in the industry or have you know some skills from that um i actually have not doing it this year but we've done several years we did mask making workshops um where i kind of i had some sort of half 
kind of half-made, ready-made masks that people could work from to kind of make it easier. And then I have uh, people have emailed me in the past asking about how we make, how we've made suits, and you know, different members of our troop have made them different ways using what's available here. You can buy suits from overseas, suits and masks from overseas, but you know the just with the shipping, they, it, it all gets it all gets very expensive. Um, so a lot of people, you know, kind of adapt things we have here. So yeah, people do contact me, and I'm always happy to talk about that kind of thing. I do sell masks. I don't have any for sale. This sort of out this season, uh, but I have an Etsy store that where I sell masks. Uh, that's I think that's linked on my. Uh, I also have a site alrightnower.com, which I think has links uh, under it, the art art uh, tab on, on that. And just to give given uh, folks an idea, if someone wanted to get themselves a decent Krampus uh, costume suit, whatever you call it, uh, what does something like that run? Oh well, and uh, even in even in, you know even in Austria, well, which where they have you know there's more selection, you'd think they might be cheaper. Um, people can spend you know with the mask and the suit and the bells, which is an essential part of the suit, you could spend twelve hundred dollars on that. I mean, the masks masks uh, are usually three hundred to. I mean, they can be up you know they could be up to. They could be up to a thousand dollars or nine, you know, eight hundred, nine hundred dollars by certain famous carvers. Uh, these are, I'm talking in that case about your unique, individually carved wooden masks. They also use, they also have uh, resin masks that are cast from, you know, multiple casts, uh, multiple castings from a single mold. Um, so those things, uh, you know, they they they're already pretty expensive, and then you get the bells, and that's another, I don't know, two hundred or something like that. So it, it it can add up, and then the hides. Uh, you have, they're they're made by like uh, you know local uh, tanners or people. A lot of people that make fur coats, you know, have a side seasonal sideline and that kind of thing. So yeah, it can it can add up to over you know a thousand, maybe a thousand around there, a little under, a little over, if you get all the latest stuff. And a lot of folks will, a lot of people will re, want to re, they'll replace their mask every few years because it's kind of like you know it's a little bit gives you a little prestige to walk in with a new mask. So they they spend a lot on it, but you know it's part of it's it, when it's part of your culture it's like you know we spend a lot on weddings here because it's just expected so um it's 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 pricey there and then here in the u.s uh you know i, I would say that we do things all with synthetic materials and masks aren't necessarily even the masks i sell are kind of variations on on a single mold that i use so you know stuff is cheaper here well, but you, uh people again people can spend a couple hundred three three four hundred pretty easily yeah they're pretty ornate from what i've seen in the pictures on your websites um but you did touch on something there you said weddings and maybe there's have you ever done a krampus wedding (laughs) (laughs) i'm surprised no one's asked for that yet i feel like they've asked for just about everything else we've definitely every once in a while got asked for somebody wants to do the the cramp kiss city on krampus's lap a la santa claus uh, i think it's sort of been improvised in an event or two but yeah we get that request a lot no weddings yet oddly Al, we're out of time. Thanks so much for being with me. One more time, just give your websites for uh, for po- folks so they know where to go to find out more about your work. Uh, they can go to alrightenhour.com or boneandsickle.com for the podcast. Terrific. Again, great story, great information, and your book is called The Krampus and the Old Dark Christmas. Good luck on that, and have a great holiday season. Thank you. Same to you. The Krampus thing's always kind of fascinated me. I love these old folklore tales of uh, creatures and demons and many of the things we talk about on this program have roots in some of that um some of its fiction some of it's still uncertain what it is uh but it's all it's all fascinating nonetheless 
So once again, I'll I'll let everyone know that um, you know Jason's family is going through a very very tough time right now, and all the uh, positive wishes and prayers that you can send to him and his family are greatly appreciated. Um, in the meantime, best of programs for the next three nights, uh, two because of the holiday. Uh, Thanksgiving holiday, and then Friday night is always a best of program. So I'll say to you all right now, have a fantastic Thanksgiving. I hope that you have an opportunity to spend it with friends and family and loved ones, because that's what it's all about. So have a great, great extended weekend. Hopefully you have a little bit of time off, and uh, I will see you on Monday. Thanks for being here. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm J.V. Johnson. We'll catch you next time. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at J.V.J. Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.